Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, I am Karen McNary, and I serve as one of the women shepherds here. And this morning, I will be reading from Luke uh, chapter two or twenty-two, verses fourteen through thirty-eight, and it reads: When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, "I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again." until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you out to preach the good news, and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords. That's enough, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, still the pastor of Christ Central Church for a couple more weeks. Um, and as I heard y'all singing that he knows my name, um, 
as we were singing that, uh, a real peace came over me, if you will. Uh, yeah, Christianity is about feelings. And the Holy Spirit really does touch you and you feel it. But a peace that um, Christ Central, y'all in the right place. And uh, God's got you. And he knows this congregation by name. And so today we're going to look at a passage that in a sermon that I've preached before. And as I begin to think about writing new sermons and coming up with new ideas, I begin to look back and see some things that were said um, at the beginning of this church as we started it that I think are really helpful and hopeful as we uh, continue on as a church. So we're looking here, um, Luke 22nd chapter, and it's Passover week. Since all Passover meals had to be done within the city walls to be official, the city is hopping and scrambling with visitors, whole family groups, like family reunion time, all the same matching off-color shirts that were on sale, right? Looking for the nice one spot to have a cookout. And enter Jesus and his disciples. No matching shirts. <laughs> no tree with one name on it. A diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus. The big brother and leader of the group gives them some good news. There is a place for us to meet. A man in Jerusalem, um, you know, he did a nice family at rooftop add-on, and he said we can use it for our Passover meals. So go get the ice and paper plates and all of that, and let's get ready to celebrate. Now, back then, they would have the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread together for convenience sake, like doing family reunions around the 4th of July in Labor Day weekend, right? And so they would have gotten a lamb properly butchered at the temple and then brought to eat together for a dinner, for a meal. But this was no ordinary meal. Passover was a celebration of their soul food. It was a meal and an occasion that was more than a snack, and more than just a meal. It told a story as they ate it, and around it, stories were told. It sent a message, and around it, like no other meal, messages were given, like our own soul food gatherings. And Jesus uses this Passover meal to show and give direction on what would be needed as a, as, as a people, as the church eventually, to survive, to continue to greater without him being bodily present with them. Teaching them how to be resilient as a people, called to a challenging, perplexing, but life-changing work of the gospel in their cities and world and neighborhoods and even within themselves. With all of that mixed up, draining, exhausting issues that, that come in being an institution, a, a, a religious institution, a church in this, country, in this world, rather, issues of politics and socioeconomics and sexuality and race and ethnicity and broken image issues and more uh, were, were what, on, what their missions would, would, would reveal eventually and that their lives would be tied up in all of the issues of this world that they wouldn't be allowed to conquer 
right? They wouldn't be allowed to lord over or rule over as a people, but rather tied in and serving this world. It's a big difference. And for Christ Central, heading towards a new and continuing path, without me, your founding pastor, I hope you've realized and remembered what Jesus wanted them and now for us to know. That to serve and survive this world, to be, continue to be a transforming and reaching and growing community of faith, they and we need the ministry and message of his soul food. There are three things he taught about the church, his people, his followers, I want us to embrace today. First, that God is calling the church, that's Christ Central Church, to be a people of life-changing relationships. A people. Secondly, to be a place of life-changing relationships. And finally, to be centered on the person of life-changing relationships. It may say something different up there. Don't worry about all that. Oh, good. Now understand, like our soul food times, the Passover meal was a family meal, right? You did it as a household. And for Jesus to have this meal with them, he was declaring and establishing a new people called in relationship. Now, it's funny how this happens, but if you come to one of our home-cooked events, um, and when I say our, I'm thinking back home in Charleston. I don't know why that image is coming up in my mind. It often centers around food, right? We do things, you got to eat. You got to have food. If you want to make it, a momentous, an honorable event, if you want it to mean something, if you want people to feel welcome, you got to have food. And not just snacks, not finger food, <laughs> not chips and soda. Food, y'all. Meat. Not just boneless, skinless, chicken breast. I'm sorry. I, this is not, this is, may not be fair because I'm just going by my own cultural deal. Remember, I don't know how many times I got to tell you, I'm a black man from the low country of, of, of South Carolina. I'm from Charleston. We didn't even know that boneless, skinless chicken breast was the same breast on the chicken. I just didn't know. I, I, I couldn't. But it's funny how our soul food occurrences happen around food and our culture. The meal automatically makes us intimate in ways we weren't before, right? You don't just have people come over and serve them that food. And it's usually my dad that says, well, you family now. What? Just after eating some greens with hot sauce, that's it? You didn't get in those beatings? No. Sorry. <laughs> that ain't fair. You get to eat. You get to come to the table. You get the good stuff. I got a lot more. And now you family? 
That ain't fair. And he goes on. You're always welcome. And you know, what's funny is I look back at Christmas meals or Thanksgiving meals or Fourth of July celebrations or Sunday dinner. There's always somebody who became family. And oftentimes they're eating with us because they were too far away from home. Maybe a college friend or someone whose family no longer has a matriarch or patriarch to hold it together. Or sometimes it is more deliberate than that. It is a girlfriend, a newborn baby, or someone that was invited over on purpose because they just needed to be around that kind of family, right? Well, the message of this Passover meal is saying Jesus is calling for a people he may have individually called from different people groups and histories to come together for their lives to be changed and restored. Which means the gospel makes our relationships and church an eclectic community of, of aliens and enemies and weirdos and misfits and, and, and enemies, right? And, and, and those who have mishap, mishaps in our own communities and families combine with all the misfit people and strays we bring home with us who are most often alienated and lonely and broken from living in a hard and mean and fallen world. And for believers, Jesus' call makes us a little crazy because listening and following Jesus has left many of us, like these disciples, homeless and feeling alone and needing somebody else who can help you understand the new you, the updating, updating, updating. You see the spinning circle? You, you are in what Jesus is doing in you and through you because Jesus caused such a constant add-on of relationships and made such a glorious mess in the life of the church. Jesus is calling for a people and community shaken up by the world and by the gospel to be together as a community of constantly changing and challenging group of misfit toys. You know, sometimes you just feel like once Jesus comes in your life, you just don't fit in life in the same way. You don't fit in your families the same way. You don't fit in your group of friends the same way. So it makes sense what Jesus says here in verse 36 and 37 about the need for cloaks and swords. Look with me at verse 36, what he says here. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. Because before he said you didn't need all that. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me, uh, written about me by the prophets will come true. What he is saying is that when he dies and Christianity becomes its own faith distinguished from Judaism, the families and the heritage that help support you, that you felt you were a part of when you ran around declaring the good news, those will be gone. You will need your own families. You will need a new fellowship. You will need a new family like you see happening around the table he's showing them. Jesus saying for your survival, you need some help. You need somebody or bodies to talk to you, to share your stories and connect your chapter to the broader narrative of this new family story you're a part of. Or else, like we see them doing and pulling out the sword, Jesus, we have two swords, right? You will on your own get defensive and fearful and become self-righteous or discouraged or so lonely that you get the whole Christianity thing all wrong. And Jesus saying, I will not let that happen to you, my people, because I'm calling you to be a people who are family under me. 
See, through this meal, Jesus is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives have been changed, misplaced, questioned, and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world to come into community and come to the table around him because he has secured and created and made a place, a place for you to be known and loved. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You stay with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I will grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? So <laughs> they began to argue about who is the greatest. And I will warn you, Christ Central, this is not part of the sermon application, but I just began to think about the argument about who is the greatest. There will be in transition arguments about what's most important at Christ Central and who is most important there will be arguments about what is the greatest thing about this church. And a couple of things out here I want you to see. They're reclining at this table. Now, and they only have their right hands, if you will. They, they kind of lay back. It's a, it's a real low table, um, and, and there would be like pillows and maybe a rug around it. They didn't have the chairs. Like um, you, you may have seen in Da Vinci's painting, you know, the Last Supper painting that Grandmama had on the wall. You know what I'm saying. It, it, it would be, um, you know, um, you would go in there and you would lay down and you would recline at the table, right? And you'd have your, your left hand here to hold you up. And you would only have your right hand to get the food, right? So you didn't have both hands to use unless you sat up. But the point is you only have one to, to go around. Now, here, here's the deal. In order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person to their left and right to get what they needed. And so Jesus says, who is the greatest servant? The one who's at the table or the one who is not at the table. Of course, Jesus pointing to himself as the greatest servant. We'll get back to that in a minute. But he's also saying that we are called to serve each other. With only one hand, we must rely on our sense of family and companionship to serve each other at the table, around the table. And it makes complete sense when Jesus talks about being the greatest, being the servant, because think about it. Who is the greatest when you're looking at the table and you need that food? The greatest person is the one who actually can grab it and hand it to you. The greatest person is the one closest to the thing you want. Jesus calling us to a people and a place where, hear me, we only make it 
as we serve each other. But get this, where you can only get what you need if you get served, right? Because sometimes churches are, are places where people just want to go and do a bunch of good works, where they just want to be serving, serving, serving. But how many of us actually put ourselves around the table and in community in such a way where we must rely on someone else to help us? That place, that position is church. And that's what church should look like. They only have their right hands to serve them, y'all. This is how Christianity works. We are not allowed or called an authentic Christianity to meet our own needs and only take what we want to care for ourselves. This is about being well-fed and growing spiritually only as well and good as the relationships Jesus has actually given us within the body. We are all one-handed in our ability to make it happen in and for ourselves, to heal and fix ourselves and bring comfort on your, to yourself. There is no self-pick and choose on your own by your own spirituality. You will do bad all by yourself. And Jesus is saying, come to a place where you can only get served as you serve each other. A place where everyone is needy in service and everyone is in a position to actually serve. Because the revolution, I like to call it, and the restoration of lives and community and families, that, that cultural burdens out there will not be alleviated, that eclectic, diverse community and changing the city for the, be for the better will not and cannot happen without you being found and finding and being a part of a people and place called the church. How do we get served? The same corny stuff. Actually coming to worship service. Corny. It's got to be something more. I need that mountaintop experience. I need a retreat. Sure you need a retreat. But Jesus is saying there is something dynamic and supernatural that happens around the table of faith on a worship, in a worship service. The same stuff, Christ Central, we've been talking about for years. If you ain't in a community group or some kind of community in church, you're trying to feed your own spiritual life and you're not getting what God has for you. You see life at Christ Central and Jesus let it go by. Jesus wants you to know, extrovert and introvert, that there's room at the table for you through Jesus. So by all means, find a table in a place somewhere. Because on your own, personal, self-sustained Christianity, living in this world will overwhelm and it will discourage and confuse you. So good news, Jesus calls us and offers us and has created in the church a new place for a new renewed people. We have a home and a family. And it is in this place in his people that Jesus authenticates us, keeps us, and holds on to us. So in this passage, we see that Jesus calls out the one who is the betrayer through this meal. Judas, who turns out not to believe in Jesus. But right after that, okay, it's very clear, Judas is the bad one. He calls out Peter as being one who will deny him 
who will fall under the pressure of Satan. And then the sword thing completely misunderstood what Jesus was saying to them. Get this, they take Jesus' conversation about his body will be broken for them and bloodshed and the one of them will betray him. And then they turn it into a conversation about who was the most righteous, who was the greatest, and who's going to get the biggest house in Jesus' kingdom. Know this from this passage. Like them, y'all, the church, believers, we, me and you, will make mistakes and sin and fail and fall and let Jesus and other folk in this world down. We'll even become guilty and condemned by our own ideas of what a good person or Christian is. We will fail to be as good as we thought we were or want to be. We will all feel like hypocrites and not very Christian. You and I will ignore the poor when we shouldn't. Yes, we will laugh at and, and let racist and sexist jokes fly by. We will be too afraid to speak up and in arrogance speak too much. We will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong. Lots of times we will. And thus goes the testimony of your own life and your own pastor's life. I don't, along with some of you, always believe Jesus like I should or actually think he applies in every situation. I don't always trust and believe the stuff he says. Man, especially when it comes down to being a so-called Bible-believing Christian. Come on, y'all. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, man, this is too hard. I want something different. Forget church. Forget being a believer. But why? Here's the key. But while you are saying forget this, while some of us are selling it out and misunderstanding and twisting it, be assured of what Jesus assured Peter. It isn't about you ultimately. Wow. But Jesus, you called us to be a people. Yes. I did, he's saying. You called us to create a place to be a church. Great. But it's not about your ability to be faithful, but about being centered around the person of life-changing relationship. Look with me at verse 31 here. Simon, Simon. Satan, that's also Peter, y'all. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Poor Peter, right? Jesus in the room, I'm going to say it too. How many of us walked the aisle? Thank you. My life has changed. Two weeks later, Lord, forgive me, right? How many of us have been saved for 25 years, 30 years, 40 years? Still struggling with the same stuff, right? Howard, you've been walking with me for 40 years, and you still deny me. Right? In the right circumstances. But listen to what he says. He says, Lord, I'm going to die for you, right? But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. 
before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you will know me. Understand what three times means. You will completely deny me. Like, it's not an accident. Uh, I don't know him. Okay, just one time might have been all right. Right? Oh, my mouth accidentally said the wrong word. I thought he asked me this question. I had a momentary slip of judgment. Right? No, three times. Early in the morning when you're supposed to be praying. Three times. Complete faith collapse, right? And he says this, when, when I have, he says, uh, uh, then Jesus asked him, when I sent you out to preach, hold on a minute. Oh, oh, that's it. That's it. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that I even know you. You know, when he calls his name out twice, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Right? Don't get it confused, because um, that's all right. It's an old school church. They're around the table, too. So, like, when he calls Simon's name twice, don't get it confused. This is not like your mama having to call you twice. If she calls you twice, the third denial comes with a beating or a spanking or something like, Howard, Howard. The third Howard is the belt. I'm sorry. I grew up in a different generation. I don't know whether it's bad. I don't know whether I'm going to therapy because of it. But we didn't get, sometimes you got spankings, sometimes you got beatings. This is not a double call of frustration. This is affection. This is love for a child, a younger brother that will go through some condemning situations. That will try his faith. Jesus is in love with Simon in these words. And it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our failures and misconceptions and fears. Can you hear Jesus calling your name twice? Doubly important to him. Making sure you hear him. Jesus declaring, what is he declaring? He will not abandon the revolution and redemption that will be and is happening in each one of you. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake the leaving and forsaking. That's what it's saying. That Jesus will pray for those who are prayerless. That he will be the truth for those that misunderstood. That he will speak for the choked up. That he will become the servant of those who want to be haughty. That he will fix all those, all those things that we've broken in our arrogance and ignorance. That he will keep up with the runner and go down with the sinner. That this is what is revolutionary. That Jesus loves and will never stop loving we who struggle with sin and our identity. That are his people. That he is eternally committed to them in ways that they will not and cannot be committed to him. That he will cover and deal with and take on their mistakes and like Simon, forgive and return them. That he's forgiving forever. So you cannot ruin or outrun or be too run down for his redemption in this world or in you or to be a church. Jesus will not let you or allow you to, to fall away from him though you deny him. That you can't mess up what Jesus has already promised to do in you and through you. That yes, he will call us out. 
but then love and stay with and help and heal it out of us. His redemption is coming. Change is coming. And if you are his, it is coming through an unbreakable, unstoppable love of God for you and me, broken misfits in a world called to him. And it shows and tells us again that we are not called to fuel or be the fuel of anything that happens in this church. You know, you're not the ultimate power behind it. You're not the ultimate person who's responsible for it. You should respond to it, but you're not responsible for it. I've never been responsible for this church. My call as your pastor for the last 19 years has been a response to Jesus' overwhelming responsibility for you. Again, like any gathering of this this sort, around soul food, there is a message and a story communicated through and by it, right? For my people, again, in my culture, I don't know, remember we did Black History Month, some of us watch High on the Hog? Boy, that show good. Don't watch it hungry. (laughs) It was interesting is, again, food has a message. And it's wrapped up in the history. It's wrapped up in what, for for our people, what was available, right? Who ever thought that a pack of chicken wings would be $22? Chicken wings is what you got when you needed to have something. Now chicken thighs getting high. Chicken high. How can yard bird be high? And it's expensive without the story attached. It just, it ain't right. You know, you go to the store, you get some some hot wings. The price ain't even on the menu no more. It says market price. Market price? We ain't getting lobster tails, man. (laughs) But you realize how soul food was started. What was left? What could be made out of something out of nothing. What was hard and broken has now become a celebration of life and fulfillment and family and hope. Ribs? Nobody wanted the ribs. Nobody wanted that. Now ribs cost a lot. I'm, food just costs a lot. I'm a food-centered person. It just costs a lot. My empire is crumbling because food is so expensive. I can't afford it. At the Passover, you know what they would say? The following line is they broke the bread. They would say, this is the bread of affliction. Our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to point to the middle passage between being free to slaves to entering the promised land. When they wandered in the desert, sometimes unsure, unsure of whether it would ever happen for them. And at that time, many died, many suffered, but God fed them bread from heaven and kept them. And they did eventually enter the promised land. So at this meal, Jesus gets up and he breaks the bread 
And he says, not this is the bread of affliction our ancestors ate when they came out of Egypt. He says, this is my body broken for you. And then in verse 20, with the wine, this is my blood shed for you. And in doing so, in substituting it in that way, the way he did, he is saying the things that separate you from God, from having right relation with God and yourself with each other and you in the world, will happen to me when I die on the cross. That your sense of revolutionary freedom and peace relies on me. <laughs> that I will be the bread of your affliction. I will take on the penalty of your sin and share in your sufferings. And in my act of dying, bear the burden of the coming revolution. But at the same time, the fuel and power and drive of God behind the faith in you being my people. So I'm not only going to take the bitterness of the food away, I'm going to give the sustenance to the food for your soul so that you can enter a rest and believe and be restored and unburdened and reconciled and motivated. Eat of me, he's saying. Eat of my words and my worship and my people and my ministry and my sacraments, my Lord's Supper. Take in my grace and my gospel for your soul and all the ways I've given. Jesus saying, like the lamb we ate, like this broken bread and wine as I serve it, I died to be your food and I live to feed you. The central matriarchs in my family, they cooked, but all the men cooked too. We were a cooking family. My grandma used to cook for folk, rich folk, downtown Charleston. She used to have these big spreads, you know, with the big, the full pig there with the apple in the mouth. She told me all about that. She had the people come by with the little biscuits in hand and take the little bread, right? She'd do it. And I'm like, how did you learn to cook all this? I don't remember you going to France. Yes, Paris. We're learning how to cook. She said, I just used a cookbook. I made it happen out of nothing, right? Just had to do it. It was my job. Well, she passed that on. And one of the greatest cooks in my family is my aunt. I called her Annie. That ain't her name. Her name is Sandra Harrison. But I don't know if I couldn't say Auntie, but Annie. And then everybody called, started calling her Annie. But I remember Annie would shop all day. Sometimes if I'm, I was over there, I used to go with her. I remember them days, y'all. We'd go to the vegetable bin downtown, pick through all the fruits and the root vegetables and the greens and this. And the greens had little worms on them. Y'all remember that? You had to clean them off? Y'all don't know nothing about that. Oh, real greens. Dirty and wormy. That's organic. If y'all going to Whole Foods and your greens ain't dusty or wormy, it ain't organic. Ain't no pesticides used on that with all them green worms. <laughs> we would shop all day. She'd get the little vet. You know, you go into the meat place and it smells like meat. Y'all know what meat smell like? Good and kind of stink. <laughs> and she would pay for it. And like I said, food costs a lot. She paid for it. Then she would cook all day. So many pots on the stove. I remember kitchen would be a disaster. That's the way my auntie cooked. Just 
messy. You're like, how is anything going to come out of this? And when people would come and they would eat, I would look up and she wouldn't have a plate in her hand. It would literally be like her food was watching us eat. She would just look at us like she lived to feed us. Like she lived on feeding us. And when we would get quiet, she would just stand there. You know, it gets quiet in black folk gathering. Only one time. When you're eating. Mm. And it's quiet. You're like, I never thought it would be quiet. Right? Just quiet. Just for a minute. But then after that first plate, blah, 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 people talking and food eating, right? She would just stand there and watch. Like she was eating. Like she was getting satisfied. Like she was filled just by watching us get fed and fulfilled, seeing even if someone needed anything else. You know what Jesus says at the beginning of this passage? He says here that he will not drink until the kingdom comes. Jesus was clearing as the greatest servant among us, that he was the greatest servant. You know what he's saying? Your food is me, but my food and my joy and my honor is serving serving and suffering and holding and keeping and loving and restoring and providing all of what you and the world needs in order to experience the honor, dignity, wonder, and glory of being with God. I'm no Jesus. I think I've made that pretty clear in the sermons I've preached. Or I can have a little testimony service with my family. I have one more sermon to go, but it's Celebration Sunday. I'm no Jesus, but as we serve each other, there's a, just a taste, if you will, of what it feels like to be filled watching you be served. There's a joy when I hear that things are going on with you and I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even know it was happening. You're serving one another. It filled me and I didn't expect it. You know, when you start a church and you're a pastor, you, you, you think you're going to serve, but you're really kind of doing it for yourself too. <laughs> for the glory. Two swords. Let's go, God. Let's get them. <laughs> And then God settles you down. And the joy becomes watching Jesus feed you. It has been my pleasure. I mean, I don't want to sound all Chick-fil-A. I know you're smiling over there. Not pleasure. It's my joy. I'm glad to do it. I wish I worked for (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I hope you liked your meal, right? (laughs) It's just checking. 
I know I'll be giving away a lot of chicken sandwiches. We're so sorry he's like that. He's different. But it's been an honor to watch you eat, to see you feed, to see you have joy in it, to see Jesus at work in your lives. I feel like Annie must have felt. Jesus saying, he will not rest until you can. Christ central. Jesus saying he will not sit in his deserved place of honor. Not now. Until you can. <laughs> that he will not eat, but die so that you can eat and live eternally. Jesus saying he will not stop being the savior of sinners until you and all his people who will be redeemed will be redeemed and come home and sit around that table and know and reflect on his love. Don't you know your Lord is waiting? He's waiting for us to be completely fed. He's waiting for all the courses to be done. I know we live in a frustrating world. I know things are hard. I know politics are hard. I know the rate stuff is hard. I know all this stuff is difficult in your families and in your lives. And you're thinking, Lord, what's going on? He's waiting for you to be fully fed and loved and cared for and everybody to finally be around the table to receive it, to eat the revolutionary offering of his soul food. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For the offering, the benefit, the joy, the honor of loving one another. I've seen what you're going to bring off next from the stove, from the oven, Lord. For the dessert. Lord, I pray that we would believe that Jesus truly does and did for the joy set before him endured the cross for each one of us and for Christ Central, a church of the church. <laughs> and Lord, I just pray that your people would, would be servants to one another, but only as they've learned what it means to be served by Jesus. I pray for those in here who don't know you, who hear about this fantastic supper, this fantastic feeding, this fantastic filling, this fantastic joy. Lord, I pray that you would serve their hearts, empty, barren hearts. Maybe folk are feeling, maybe they are believers or used to believe and used to go to church, Lord, and now they've strayed away, Lord. Please remind them that you've not lost you've not lost them. That you don't draw people who have it together. You bring people together who are sinners. Please continue to let this be the message of Christ Central. That we wouldn't become self-righteous or defensive. That we wouldn't be equipped with the weapons of this world. 
but Lord, that we would be reminded of the power of your grace and love in Christ Jesus. As we go and celebrate, Lord, as we eat the Lord's Supper here, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would remind us. And as you do so, your Holy Spirit will actually feed us spiritually as we take this meal. We need it, Lord. We need your filling. We need to remember that you are the greatest servant among us. Because you broke the bread, which was your body. And you spilled the wine, which is your blood. I thank you that you're going to care for this congregation. That they are at the table. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.